0: Hi guys, welcome to the Simple Doesn't Mean Easy podcast, where we are here weekly, working at simplifying things in our lives, just one step at a time. I'm your host, Michelle Visser, and this, I'm excited to say, I feel like there should be a drum roll, is season seven. You guys blow me away with being here. Thank you for being here, for supporting this podcast like you have, and for seeing me through to season seven, and there's so many more fantastic seasons ahead. I'm so excited. Um, And by the way, anytime that you go to one of the sponsors of a podcast, you are doing a wonderful service to this podcast, to me, my family, supporting our farm. And I only accept sponsors that I actually use and love their products. So you're also finding some really, I hope you're connecting with some amazing Companies, brands, products, et cetera, if you are investigating any of the sponsors of any podcast. But you've been here supporting me and checking out those sponsors for six seasons now as we roll out season seven. And I just wanted to make sure that I said thank you because it means the world to me. So this season, first of all, if you if you watch on YouTube. We're back to video. Last season, (laughs) because of the horrible foot ordeal that I had for most of the episodes that I was recording, I was propped up with my foot propped up in the air and we didn't do video. Um, It was also a mini season. It was a little different. and It was really just me sharing my thoughts, answering your questions. So video wasn't really necessary. We didn't have guests in our last mini season. But if you watch on YouTube or if you haven't, and if you want to, Now's a great time to start because we are back to video and that's always great when we have a guest coming on like today that you can really get into and enjoy the conversation with us. This season is going to be about things that we really need to make sure we have in our daily diet and what we don't know about these things. One particular veggie is going to be the topic of our next episode it's a veggie that i mean i shouldn't say singular there are lots and lots of them um that you can grow anyone anywhere no matter what your situation in literally three to five days on your kitchen counter if you don't know what i'm talking about trust me you don't want to miss next episode because veggies we learned a couple seasons ago when we had a dietitian on a holistic dietitian. She explained to us how important veggies are in our diet. So next episode, I'm having a guest on who's going to help you truly, truly have more veggies in your diet in a very easy way. We're also going to talk this season about fats, how very important they are, how there are healthy fats and how you can be incorporating them into your diet. I'm excited about our guests coming on for that. She's actually been on the podcast in previous season. You guys loved her. You're going to love having her back. Trust me. Uh, we're going to talk about proteins this season. Water, water, such an imperative thing in our day that most of us don't get enough of. And today, there's going to be more things too. I'm not going to. I'm not going to spill all the beans. Just join me for the season. You're going to love every episode. But today, we're starting it off with a bang. Today, we're talking about salt. And I am elated to bring on Daryl Bichard. Daryl is, first of all, just fascinating to talk to. It was hard to end our conversation. I think I'm going to have to have him back again because he had so much more he could have shared with us. Um, Daryl is passionate about healthy living and healthy eating and long life learning. Daryl grew up working for the family mineral business in Redmond, Utah. And then he earned a bachelor of science degree at Southern Utah University, followed by an MBA at Western Governors University. And he uh, has so much to share. This is such a great episode. You guys are going to learn why you could be using iodized salt daily and still be deficient in iodine daily. Seriously. You're going to learn Three questions you should always be asking about your salt and why these questions are really important to know about your salt. You're going to learn the backstory that you've probably never heard about why our government said that our salt needed to be iodized and what it really means. We're going to talk about what it means. This was like an eye opener for me. What it means that salt is hygroscopic. I'm just going to leave that there. Got to listen. Um, oh, and make sure you stay till the end because I'm going to explain the four different uh, varieties or coarseness or fineness, I guess, of salt that you can purchase and use and why it matters, why the different coarsenesses actually matter and how I choose which one I'm going to use on any basis. And I am going to answer those three questions that Daryl lists for us. That's all he does is he gives us those questions about what we should know about our salt. And then we move on in the conversation. But I realized after I finished recording with them, I want to actually answer those questions for you guys about the salt that I choose. So maybe that will help you as you're determining the best salt for your family. Also, be sure to go to solelyrested.com slash salt. And there I share with you my three top favorite products, from my absolute favorite salt company. And also if you go to Realsalt.com and use code solely rested, you can do that anytime, all the time, whenever you need new salt, any of the varieties or any of the products that they offer, they have some amazing electrolyte drinks, some amazing immunity drinks, lots of other good stuff actually. Anything there at realsalt.com. Use code solely rested, SoulyRested. RESTED, S O U L Y R E S T E D, anytime and save 15% off your order every time. Also, if you're ordering $30 or more, you will pay $0 in shipping. How fantastic is that? If you want to just try one product, my one that I will get nowhere else is my regular old salt. And at realsalt.com they call that fine that's their fine salt i personally always order in the 25 pound bag because the price per unit is so much better when you're buying in bulk and it's never going to go bad it's so easy to store why on earth would i not want to get the best salt at the best price so that's what i choose anyway so be sure to stay till the end because i'm going to break down those different like i said different coarseness and varieties And more to talk about after Daryl and I are done our really interesting conversation. You're going to love it. Here we go. Okay, Daryl, thank you so much for joining us. I am so excited to literally pick your brain about all things salty.
1: Michelle, it's great being on the program. I I can't wait. You know, people think salt is salt or people have thought, you know, salt must be a boring topic. But as we visited before the show, you can see I'm pretty passionate about salt. I grew up playing in salt. And uh, I'm excited for the conversation today.
0: Me too. So I want to start right off with the biggest question in my mind that I remember growing up, my mom was told again and again by her doctor that she needed to watch her salt intake. And I know that there's some medical misnomers around this, and I would love to just get your thoughts about, because I know salt is not bad for us, right?
1: You know, uh you are right. You know, what's interesting about salt, just like fat and so many other things, it's gone through a cycle. You know, for a while there, we heard that fat was bad and everything should yes. be low fat. But yet, now we know that fat, the right kind of fat is absolutely essential for our brain health, for our eye health, for our organ health. And And salt kind of went through that same phase. In fact, there's an article that was called, and and here's a copy of it. You might not be able to read it, but it said, Evidence for the Relationship Between Sodium Chloride Intake and Human... essential hypertension. Okay. And first this of all, art- those
0: watching on YouTube, you know, you know this, the rest of you who are just listening, you don't know that Daryl literally just held up this paper for me because that title is impossible. <laughs> Not a
1: catchy <laughs> title for the paper there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was, it was written or published in 1954. And okay. as part of this study in 1954, they took these mice, and they injected them with copious amounts of salt. And what they found was, is when you injected high amounts of salt, there was some negative health outcomes. And this one study is what rippled forward into this idea that all salt is bad and that it it, it causes blood pressure and hypertension. The challenges with the study and what's been refuted since is if you go to the hospital today... The first thing they're going to do is they're going to give you an IV of saline solution, which is salt water. In fact, you could have high blood pressure, you could have hypertension, you could have cardiovascular disease. Outside of dialysis, any problem that you have, you're going to be started with an IV of salt water because an IV of anything but a sodium and chloride based IV Would be disastrous. An IV of distilled water and your cells will start to rupture. An IV of tap water, an IV of coffee, an IV of anything but saline (laughs) is going to kill us because our tears are salt, our sweat is salt, our urine is salt. No matter how much distilled water we might drink, all of our body functions on salt. It's how our body cleanses itself. And if we went back before the invention of the refrigerator, All of us would have eaten more salt because our food outside of season would have been preserved with salt. Yes. Our kimchi, our sauerkrauts, our pickles, our fermented veggies, any meat.
0: And the meat, yeah. My grandfather had a smokehouse right outside of the old farmhouse. It still stands there today. And I find that fascinating.
1: And and so salt wasn't the problem. In fact, because salt was so essential, every civilization started around access to the salt deposits. Every wow. religious texts that we have on record talks about the importance of salt. <laughs> in fact, if you earn a salary, that term is based on a Roman soldier right. getting paid a wage in salt, which I is I forgot why...
0: that fun fact from my high school days. Thank you for reminding me. I love that.
1: Well, and that old saying is a man worth his salt was because if you're a Roman soldier and you're getting paid in salt and you're not working hard or you're a slacker, you're not earning your keep, you are not worth your salt because you're getting paid salt that you're not earning. And that's why that phrase comes to be. So salt has never been the problem until the last hundred years or so when the nature of salt started to change along with a lot of other parts of our diet. And so I think it's worth knowing why, you know, salt did get a bad rap, why salt is essential for health. It's given in every IV and then how we can get back to salt the way nature created it. And I think those are some of the, the topics that we hope to cover today.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um So did you actually say that civilizations were always formed around the salt
1: deposits? Yes. If you go back to the early civilizations, they started around access to salt because without salt, everything starts to die because Hmm. you can't preserve food without salt. Your animals can't live without salt. Any, Any farmer knows that whether you have horses, you have cows, you have anything, they have to have salt to live. Right. because as 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 mammals salt is a key part of our blood it's a key part of our intercellular and extracellular fluids and so without that civilization you know couldn't survive and so the spice trade started and civilization started around access to salt Now that salt access can come in three different ways or two primarily, it could be on the ocean, because our oceans are salty. So early man would harvest salt from the ocean by taking seawater, which at present is two to 3% salt. And they would evaporate the water off, and you're left with salt. That's the term sea salt. Or you find sorry to
0: interrupt you, but that's not unlike maple syrup. I just want to tell you that that's the percentage of sugar in maple trees as well. So it's about the same evaporation. It takes a very long time. I can tell you as a sugar
1: maker. (laughs)
0: But anyway, that's way (laughs) off track. That's interesting.
1: No, that's um, or you could find an access to an ancient salt deposit. You know, there's deposits that have these pre-mortal seas, these ancient you know, eons old seabeds that have been trapped within the earth. Right. And you could either find one of those, which is similar. Which to is what you him- found
0: out in Utah or what your grandfather found out in Utah. Yeah.
1: So this is a, a, a salt crystal from that ancient seabed. Gorgeous. It's, it's more rose quartz than it looks like on screen. But mm-hmm. the, so that is a, uh, remnants of an ancient seabed or the Himalayan salt that comes out of the Pakistan and the Nepal regions. That is a ancient seabed. There's a similar one in Bolivia. It's called the Bolivian or Andean pink salt. And then there's one here in Utah. Or you could find a sodium chloride-based dead sea. The dead sea here in Utah called the Great Salt Lake is mostly sodium and chloride. You've got the dead sea in Israel, which is actually more Magnesium chloride, which isn't what our bodies are based on. If you've ever swam in the Dead Sea or tasted salt from the Dead Sea, it's quite bitter because that is a magnesium chloride based salt and our bodies are a sodium chloride based uh, body.
0: Okay, fascinating. Now you have me thinking okay, the original settlers who were along the ocean, they had no problem getting salt. But what about the ones that were pioneers? What about the ones on the Oregon Trail? What did they do for their salt?
1: They would pack it with them.
0: Hmm.
1: And so there are salt mines um, in kansas. there's there's other salt mines underneath the city of Chicago. there is salt. Um, oh, I and didn't then know that. there's, um yeah, so the big the big Morton plant is right there outside of Chicago. Okay. they do that okay. very different there. They actually use a process called a solution mining and vacuum pan evaporation where they will take, The the salt deposit here in Utah occurs pretty close to the surface. And so we just come from the surface and extract the salt. In Chicago, that salt is thousands of feet down. And so what they do there is they take a drill and drill down into the salt deposit. Then they flush the area with fresh water, which would eat away and dissolve the salt. Then they suck it back up to the surface Uh and then use a vacuum And evaporation system, which requires less heat than if you were to boil water outside of a vacuum, then they add some chemicals to it that we can talk about in a second, and it gives you that beady uh, white table salt that many people are familiar with. So those are the different types of salt. You can find it the natural way through an ancient seabed. Uh, like the Himalayan or the Utah deposit uh, called Redmond Real Salt. You can go to a current ocean, the Gulf of Mexico, the Mediterranean, the Sea of Japan, San Francisco Bay. Those have some unique challenges today because we humans haven't been the best stewards of this planet we live on. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you can find a a dead sea that is sodium chloride based, which uh, is like the shores of the Great Salt Lake or the Dead Sea. Unfortunately, the Dead Sea in Israel you can't use that as food salt because it isn't sodium chloride. It's mostly magnesium chloride.
0: Okay. So just the fact that in Chicago, they're pulling it up that long distance and they're adding the water, like right away, that makes my kind of flags go up because as a sugar maker, I'm always thinking about how processed is sugar. And the more processed it gets, of course, the less healthy it is for us. So right from the beginning, that tells me, oh, they're doing more than you are just from how they're getting it out of the ground, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Then you know, what, I, they're, they're obviously, I'm guessing, are they adding chemicals to make it even whiter? Because Americans are obsessed with white. I don't know why. Like tea bags, they have to be bleached white tea bags. Well, guys, do you really want to soak your tea in bleach before you drink it? No. <laughs> so, are they you know- adding chemicals to make salt white?
1: Yeah, there's actually two processes. And being a sugar maker, I'm intrigued because um, I, I got a friend who produces um, some some maple sugar. Um, mm-hmm. And it it uh, always fascinates me, that process. Because if you look at, I would imagine in sap, you have high amounts of nutrition. Um, Absolutely. A lots of lots of other things besides just your glucose or your your fructose or sucrose, right? There's a lot of other things in there. So in salt, it's very similar in that in the ocean, ocean water occurs with sodium and chloride, which we we we've established we need. But it also has trace amounts of potassium, chloride, magnesium, chloride, calcium, chloride, selenium, copper, phosphorus, iodine, zinc. Iodine is a big one because, you know, seaweed and seafood is rich in iodine and it's yeah. rich in the oceans and so it naturally occurs there so imagine as a as a maple producer if you could extract this this sap and then you could run it through a series of processes and pull out all the trace amounts of potassium magnesium Calcium, All the zinc, phosphorus, iodine, vitamin C. Yep. Yeah, you could pull if yeah. you could pull everything out, and then sell what's left over. I was just going to ask you that. Go just ahead. clear sugar water. Yeah, that's that is very that is not maple syrup, right? You don't have. And any then I could the...
0: probably sell my polyphenols on the market too, right? <laughs>
1: you've you've hit the nail on the head and uh, salt companies around the turn of the century realized that they could take seawater out of the san francisco bay they could transfer it through as a series of evaporation ponds and so they could pull out the potassium chloride and sell it off to a vitamin company they could pull out the magnesium chloride and sell it to a d de-icing company, pull out the Mm -hmm. calcium chloride. Now they don't pull out every single trace amount of things, but those first three electrolytes occur in a high enough ratio that it's very profitable to take those out. Mm -hmm. In fact, at the Great Salt Lake here in Utah, they actually make metal magnesium by using electrolysis to pull out the magnesium out of the Great Salt Lake water. Mm -hmm. And so as as a sugar producer or as a syrup producer, if you could could refine that process and take out the really valuable parts of that sap and sell it as tinctures or as, you know, high level supplements and then sell the sugar water left over. You know, that's a geniusness from the economics, but it does raise the question, how is that changing maple syrup that we have. Totally. It'd be like worse than Mrs. Butterworth's at that point, you know? (laughs) So, so that's, I I love that you made that connection because that's the first problem with salt. Mm -hmm. Now, the second problem that we faced is salt is hygroscopic. Hygroscopic means it'll suck water out of the air. H-Y-G-R-O, hygroscopic.
0: Wait a minute, Daryl. When you're holding up this gorgeous block of salt, I'm thinking I've got to ask you why when I buy those salt lamps, do you know they look just like your gorgeous chunk of salt, but they have a little light in it, or sometimes you can put a candle in it. Mine always melt. Is it because they're whatever that word is you just said?
1: <laughs> yes, you are you are exactly right. Unless it's so you,
0: frustrating. Because I love my lights. <laughs> so Go you ahead. could
1: you could cover that light with an acrylic um, you know, coating and okay. it would not do that. Um, but if if I were to put this or you put your your salt lamp on your kitchen table on a rainy day, you will actually end up with a pool of water underneath that lamp because yes. it actually is sucking water out of the air.
0: Yes. So when I live in a humid environment, that's why I have this trouble. Ah, what's yep. the word again? Hydro. It's hygro. Hygro.
1: Hygroscopic.
0: Hygroscopic. Okay. Yeah. How about that? Okay, go and ahead.
1: <laughs> so salt is hygroscopic. And that's important in the body because this, the the body, in the body, salt, when I say salt, in this discussion, I'm talking about sodium and chloride. Now the, mm-hmm. the chemistry definition of salt is an acid and a base that are bound one to one bond. So a magnesium chloride, sodium uh, sulfate, those are all salts.
0: Okay.
1: In our discussion, we're saying salt is sodium and chloride. But in the body, sodium and chloride's job, one of the main jobs, is to help regulate the intercellular and the extracellular fluids. So there's this pump in the cell called the sodium potassium pump, and it opens and closes like this and flushes the cell's fluids and balances the inner extracellular fluids, which is why there is salt does impact our body's ability to interact and, and retain moisture. That's its job. So animals have always craved salt and craved water to balance those essential fluids. Uh It's also why if you have too much potassium, you can throw the body out of balance. If you have too much sodium, you can throw the body out of balance. It needs both. It needs more sodium than potassium, but it needs both of those for that sodium-potassium pump to work like it should. So. This salt crystal that's now hygroscopic, which its job in the body is to regulate fluid, what happens is if I put that salt in a shaker and I leave it on my kitchen counter right next to the crystal that's melting, that shaker is going to draw water into the shaker, just like it's drawing water and melting your crystal on the table. Now, that's not a, necessarily a problem. Our grandmothers knew how to solve that. They put rice in with the salt. I and still it dis- do it. All the time. Yep. So great solution. But these scientists got together and said, what other chemicals besides something like rice can we add or coat that crystal with to stop the salt's ability to interact with moisture in the air? Now they didn't say should we do it? Because then mm-hmm. that's a very different discussion. But they said what can we what can we coat or paint every one of these little crystals with right. to stop its ability to interact with moisture? even though that's its job is to interact with moisture. So they came up with a list of chemicals, things like sodium silicoaluminate, calcium ferrous cyanide, huh. or sodium ferricyanide, um, tricalcium phosphate, copylene glycol 400. There's a, there's a whole list of chemicals that you might find as an ingredient on the back of your sea salt or your table salt. Huh. These ingredients are there to stop the salt's ability to interact with moisture. And it all comes
0: down to marketing, right? Because people think I can't have salt that sticks. That's a bad thing. I don't want that. Whereas they could just also shake the shaker before they, you know, put
1: it on. Just two two (laughs) taps of the... Well, and so the marketing campaign was genius at the time. There's Mm -hmm. this campaign that says, when it rains, it pours. And there's a little girl with an umbrella and the salt is just dumping all over the rain is, but the salt is trickling out of her shaker as she's walking down the road in a humid day. And the tagline, when it rains, it pours, was because this is when they created this this Hmm. chemical that could stop salt's ability to clump in the shaker which also stops I its ability to interact with understood moisture
0: Understood that line you just gave me a moment that i actually understand what the heck morton salt is talking about when they say
1: that. <laughs> never... and it's wow. a cute tagline
0: sure and the girl with her was um, cute i mean it's as cute yep. you know it's as cute as what was this what was the um it's the same it reminds me of the same girl as the sunblock or the sun tan. Um ad where the girl is sitting up on Coppertone, Was it Coppertone with the cute little girl that and she has her bathing suit and you can see that she has a sunburn, oh, you know? <laughs> They're both these that's... cute little girls that I think are great marketing ideas that people came up with, but we don't need
1: the chemicals in our salts. <laughs> well, and and so after after this, you know, this the nature of salt changed. Um, but yet in people's minds, they still said, to me, it would be like if if everybody defined, you know, white sugar water as maple syrup. Hmm. Um because it, start, it started it might have started as maple syrup, hmm. but they've ran it through so many processes, now it's a simple sugar. Yeah. Um but we So we don't when call I'm it- in the
0: store and I see something that they very, very um, oh what's the word I'm looking for? Deceitfully make it look like it's maple syrup. They really make a really big effort to put the word maple really big. And you have to look really closely or turn it over and look at the ingredients. And some people walk out of there thinking they're buying maple syrup. I get furious. You must feel the same way standing on the aisle, looking at the salt. Cause you're like, that's not really salt. <laughs>
1: So it's it's funny because you know the the name of our our product, the brand, we call it Real Salt. And yeah. people ask, where did that name come from? Well, so my backing up a little bit, my grandpa and his brother had a farm in the 1950s that wasn't doing all that well during world war ii my grandpa was a riveter and then as a business manager in california at a company called mcdonald douglas making airplanes for the war effort his brother was a miner at kennecott which is a really big copper mine here in utah so after the war they wanted to you know live close by and raise their families together and so that's what brought them back to their grandpa's farm in central utah And they knew there was salt under their farm because there was some outcroppings of salt north and south of their farm. In the 1950s, the salt, uh, the farm wasn't doing that well because of a drought. And they knew that people still had to have salt for their cows and people would buy it for the roads to keep the roads safe. And and so they dug down and started a salt company. Initially, you know, it was this like this rosy, pink colored, dirty salt and so mm-hmm. they didn't sell it for food salt because there was these oh, minerals fascinating. in it oh, it, so was it was dirty for, quote unquote right. oh. it was only for the cows and <clears throat> but the family found that it tasted wow. better than the you know the the table the white table salt. and so they oh. liked it but didn't really sell it to anybody and mm-hmm. and then in the 1970s as the health food movement started to move across the country there was a nutritionist that came through the area got a tour of the mine and then we started getting these phone calls from customers saying, Hey, I want to buy your, I want to buy your salt. And then we said, great. Are you calling for your cows or your sheep? Or <laughs> and they said, no, we want to, we want to put it in our, our, you know, sell us food salt in uh-huh. our health food stores, because there was this article that said this, this ancient salt from Utah has all these natural trace minerals that not only tastes better, but doesn't have any of the additives. And we're a health food store. We care about these things. And, mm. and so my grandpa and my dad and the brothers sat down and said, Hey, what do we, what do we call this stuff? It's, it's not white salt. It's not fake <laughs> salt. It's, it's just real salt.
0: I love and, it. Uh,
1: so that's how the brand was. That's how the brand was born. As silly it's as. It's a the... lot
0: better than not for animals salt, salt or really for people <laughs> salt. <laughs> real salt's perfect. <laughs> okay, that absolutely fascinates me because I feel like today your company is facing the exact opposite discussion as far as marketing. Because now people value your salt so much for taste. I have never, I haven't used any other salt since I discovered you guys five years ago. No, I haven't bought anything else. But I was really surprised. I had Carson on the podcast a season or two ago. I'm forgetting his last name. Um, but he came on about with Redmond Agriculture. Oh
1: yeah. huh.
0: And he blew my mind with how good this is for the animals and for the soil. And I was sitting there thinking, but wait a minute it's the really good stuff that I want in my kitchen. I don't know if I want to give it to my animals. You know, the exact opposite thing that you're talking about. So that's well, kind fort- of interesting.
1: Fortunately, we have plenty. Um, yeah. And there's, yeah, there's plenty of salt for the animals and plenty of salt for people, so.
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, so you had mentioned this idea that, uh, how do I word it? Can, can anything be called sea salt? Because you had mentioned that, you know, they can strip it of everything, right? And they can do things to it but still call it sea salt
1: yeah so you know years ago like back in the 1970s um or even today if if we hold your audience and said hey raise your hand if you've heard sea salts better probably a good percentage of people would raise their hands thinking that that sea salt's better unfortunately that's not the case because you can have processed salt coming from any source and in the u.s Any salt, regardless of how it's produced, can be defined as sea salt because Hmm. it comes from a seabed at some point. It's the Dead Sea. It's the current ocean. It might be an ancient sea. Now, some countries do limit that, and some countries will say salt labeled sea salt has to be from a current ocean. So if even salt from the Dead Sea can't be called Dead Sea Salt... In Canada or in Japan, okay. um, it only sea salt can only be used if it's referencing a current ocean, the US doesn't have that terminology, so okay. you can use it, um, however you like the bigger challenge is. All of this processing thing that we talked about some people think that sea salt means not processed, but I can take salt from the current ocean and highly refine it. I could take salt from an ancient seabed under the city of Chicago and highly refine it. Or I could take salt from a salt bed like the Himalayan deposit or the Redmond deposit here in Utah, and I could highly refine it. So there's really three questions that I think your listeners ought to ask to find a good salt. And it might be Redmond, it might be another brand, but there's There's three good questions I think will lead you to a quality product.
0: Perfect. So this is the place to start taking notes if you haven't already. Okay.
1: (laughs) So the first question is who's producing it? And I think this Uh applies to salt or any food that you might want to eat. Today, it's getting harder and harder to really track down the source of our food. So if you go to the farmer's market, even sometimes they might be selling something that was made miles away that has no connection to any local farmer yeah. but yeah. if you can find out who is actually producing it be it corn be it tomatoes be it you know fish whatever it is that you're getting know who's producing it i think it's the first important question yeah because if you know who's producing it then the second question is what's the source you know is it coming from a of a farm right next to an industrial chemical plant is it coming from a farm that's right where a big oil refinery used to be? Or is it coming in a farm that's been this organic, protected farm miles away from any of the pesticides or, or, or GMO crops? Right. So I think if you can know who's producing it, then you can know the source. In terms of salt, that's really important because, again you know, when BP took place, I wouldn't want to be getting my salt out of the Gulf. Or when Exxon Valdez happened, I would not want yeah. to be getting salt or the Japan meltdown or the cruise ship disaster in the Mediterranean. I, I think knowing where our food's coming from is, is really important. And it's getting harder and harder to do that, especially with things like salt that are sometimes dumped into the open market and then co-mingled, it gets challenging. Yeah. And then the final question is, Uh, what's the process what are they doing to it are they taking anything out are they putting anything in um you know if if you and i were orange farmers and we had this new technology that we could take this citrus fruit and suck out the ascorbic acid and sell it and then we could pump in some extra sugar to to make it taste better Hmm. that's a. i'd want to know that as a consumer that this orange isn't the same orange that i thought i was getting or I'm buying maple syrup to find out that part a good chunk of what I thought was maple syrup is actually some type of fructose or corn syrup that's added because they've taken parts of the original. I used to to do honey. I had a some bees mm. and I kept honey for a while, and yeah, I was shocked at the amount of honey on the market that starts as honey that they then add chemicals to it or they add high fructose corn syrup in it because yep. that's cheaper than honey, and so they could I cut. Know. They could cut. Honey with other sugar and make it cheaper, and I, unless I really looked as a consumer, I would assume I'm buying maple syrup, and it turns out I'm not. I'm buying sugar water. I might assume I'm buying honey, and I'm buying, you know, amber-colored sugar water, or I think I'm yeah. buying salt, and I'm buying this processed, refined chemical version of what nature created. And I think those three questions will help us find, you know, better protein. It'll find help us find better sweeteners. As well as help us find better salt.
0: Yeah. And I think so much about our food all comes down to that third question, honestly. I mean, they're all, they're all, like you said, questions we should ask about all our food, but so much of what we eat is processed, even if we don't realize it. And I love it that literally your salt, I actually love the appearance of it. I think it's beautiful, not dirty. I think earlier you were saying people <laughs> called it dirty, but um, I love it that it's exactly the way it is. In nature. Exactly. Just like my maple syrup. It's exactly like it is coming from the maple tree. And that means it's going to be the best forest. That's always the case. Like I've never found any food ever that somebody said, oh, don't eat the the unprocessed version. That's not going to be as good. No, it's always going to be better. Um, What about salt substitutes, right? Like these things that they somehow are, they're better for you because they're substitutes. Tell me about that.
1: Because people have heard salt's bad for them, which we've determined isn't unless you're on dialysis or kidney failure, because they've heard salt's bad, they're going to try to find something to replace that. And so these salt substitutes, they will take salt and they will cut it with another series of chemicals to, to offset the sodium. But in doing so, it actually causes more problems in the body. In the U.S., any salt substitute will have a warning that says for normal, healthy people, consult your general practitioner before use. And they do that because the additives to make a processed salt substitute is actually harder on the heart and the body than Hmm. any natural salt.
0: Wow. Not that I'm surprised, but yet I'm still surprised. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So if the right kind of salt, is really good for me. I mean, I already believed this, but you've definitely convinced me. How much should we get a day? Is there some way to know we're getting like the right amount?
1: Well, the World Health Organization or the, the, the daily recommended allowance of sodium is 2300 milligrams. However, most doctors today that follow this idea that, that nature has it right with salt, says mm-hmm. a, better, a better way is to salt your food liberally and then offset The water that you drink with a quarter teaspoon of salt, because again, in the hospital, we're going to get an IV of saline solution, which is salt water. Now, if you're a person that's eating out of boxes and cans and processed foods and from, you know, restaurants and grocery stores all the time you're probably getting more salt than you need because Mm -hmm. salt is a very cheap preservative. And so you can take really bad food that you shouldn't be eating and add really processed salt and make that really bad food with really bad processed salt last way longer than it should. And then you wonder why you're having health problems. But if we're eating a natural diet, eating a lot of raw foods, you know, farm raised veggies, our own produce, you know, our own good, clean meats, at that point, you do need to go out of your way to add good, clean salt back to your diet.
0: Okay, so I, you lost me a little bit with the every cup you drink of water. Tell me that again. Uh,
1: so, so Dr. David Brownstein in his book "Salt Your Way to Health," and Dr. Batman Gelly's book "Your Body's Many Cries for Water" would say to add a quarter teaspoon of salt per quart of water that you a drink. Quart
0: of water. Okay. Yeah. In addition That's, to liberally putting it on your food.
1: Yeah, salting your food okay. to taste. You know, A lot of people, when they switch to a low salt diet, the first thing that starts to go is their digestion because we know that sodium is important, which is why it's in the IV. Potassium, magnesium are important. The forgotten nutrient when it comes to salts is actually chloride. We don't think a lot about chloride, but yet our bodies digest food with hydrochloric acid. And so we need chloride that comes in the form of sodium chloride, magnesium chloride, potassium chlorides, calcium chlorides, because our bodies will take hydrogen and the chlorides from salt and make hydrochloric acid, which is HCl. And so our bodies need abundant amounts and Animals have never overdosed on salt. If you have a a horse, you know, a horse isn't going to, and you put a salt lick out, a horse is going to eat some salt because it listens to its body's cravings, going to drink some water. Then it's going to eat some fence post if it's on some nutrition. Um, and then it's going to go back and eat more food. and And so animals are so intuitive. And yet we as humans, I think because of the abundance of food, we yes. have forgotten to listen to our cravings. And so we go way too long before mm-hmm. we take a drink of water. And oftentimes yes. we think we're craving sugar when we're really craving salt because mm-hmm. salt is so essential. So next time you have a sugar craving, if you take a little piece of salt and put it under your tongue. You'll mm-hmm. notice that how it's sweet it tastes, how very wow. satisfying it is. and hmm. it can help uh, push off those cravings, wow. especially if you're fasting. Um, if you're fasting, yeah. you put a little piece of salt under your tongue and it doesn't break any of the um right. of the fast because there's no nutritional value, but it does satisfy a lot of that craving,
0: huh, you know, I did not know that. So the old salty or sweet debate. I mean, we could go head to head as a sugar maker and, you know, real salt, but but that's fascinating that it can even solve a sweet craving. Okay. So Daryl, I want you to explain to us why iodine was added to salt. It happened back during World War I. Am I right?
1: Yeah. yeah no discussion about salt would be complete without a discussion on iodine because okay. iodine is so essential for life. It is essential for all kinds of human health, especially women and reproductive health, iodine mm. is absolutely essential. Um, so, no discussion on salt would be complete without a discussion on iodine. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, as you pointed out, goes back to World War One. You know, salt was never meant to be a source of iodine, and yet today most of us associate iodine and salt. So, mm-hmm. it begs the question: How did that happen? Well around World War 1 they started the draft and you can't draft men into the military if they have a goiter problem which is a thyroid condition that's resulting in an iodine deficiency yeah. and when you think about World War 1 at that time in the Midwest particularly where this problem first really was noticeable. Mm -hmm. People were eating out of cans, a lot of processed foods, white flours, refined sugars. Um, And in the Midwest, you have a very limited supply of fresh seafood and seaweed, which is where a lot Mm. of people get their iodine from. Okay. So the military sat down with the world leaders or the U.S. leaders and said, what are we going to do to solve this iodine deficiency in our population, particularly in the Midwest, because again, we're not eating foods rich in iodine. And Mm -hmm. so they said, well, let's, what can we add iodine to? You know, in some municipalities, they Mm -hmm. will add fluoride to water to force Mm -hmm. fluoride consumption. And they said, what can we do to force iodine consumption? They looked at adding it to flour as a bread volumizer, like you might add, bromide as a bromide, as a a dough conditioner. They looked at adding it to water. It turns the water purple because iodine is purple um, or kind of a reddish color. And, and so that wouldn't work. No. And so what they came (laughs) up with was adding a particular form of iodine called potassium iodide. They could add that to salt and it would be somewhat stable. And then you could force, because you have to eat salt to live, mm-hmm. could force iodine consumption into the population that might otherwise not be doing what's good for them and seeking out natural hmm. sources of foods rich in iodine. Hmm. And so rather than having a campaign that said, hey, everybody eat more foods rich in iodine, seek out pinto beans, seek out seafood, seek out dulce and seaweed and kelp. What they said was to salt manufacturers, from this day forward, you have to add potassium iodide to your salt. And if you don't, you're required to put a disclaimer or a warning it says oh. this salt does not supply iodide a necessary nutrient. Wow. Even though natural salt has about 10% per quarter teaspoon of your RDA recommended daily allowance of iodine hmm. it's in there, but unless you add it, you have to put that statement on the bottle. And that's wow. why people associate iodine with salt. Now, did it solve the problem? It actually did um, in a, teaspoon of iodized salt, you have a quarter teaspoon of iodized salt. You have 45% of your daily recommended allowance. Now, what they've found is less than 10% of that iodine or that form of iodine when attached to salt is actually bioavailable. The way they test that is they look at the serum levels in the body. They give you X amount of iodine with salt. They would expect I'll use it, this analogy. They give you this much iodine in salt, and they would expect this much iodine in the blood serums. What they find it's ten percent of that amount. Hmm. Hmm. When you add iodine to flour, it actually boosts it, um, hmm. but it's just not stable. Hmm. And so, that's not why. Stable? Yeah, right. it did, and it. I don't think it, it makes the bread taste funny and turn red because okay. iodine um, in that form it would it would turn it red. That's why okay. iodine drops and supplements. You know, if you ever get iodine to clean a wound, it's purple. Mm -hmm. So so that's why potassium iodide is Mm -hmm. added to salt. Now is iodine important? Absolutely. And there's iodide and iodine and both of those forms of iodine are essential for life. And we, all of us should go out of our way to eat foods rich in iodine. And most of us, Probably should go out of our way to find an iodine supplement because we probably aren't eating foods that are naturally rich enough in iodine that would meet our body's needs. And what they find is when they look at tumors in men and women, most tumors, breast tumors, prostate, um, they find that the levels of iodine in those tumors are virtually non-existent. It's just that's that's why iodine is so essential is because mm. of its links to tumors wow. um, and and the repro- and the reproductive health and if you live around a nuclear facility they will have iodine tablets and iodized salt in the area because your thyroid loves halogens and so if there's radioactive iodine out there your thyroid's going to absorb that and so mm. That's why they have iodine tablets and iodine salt around a nuclear facility. So you can saturate your thyroid with safe iodine. So it doesn't absorb the unsafe iodine in the case of a disaster. So just a little, it's just interesting that we have come to associate iodine and salt when that was never iodine was never supposed salt was never supposed to be a source of iodine, but because it's so essential And because the U.S. government forced consumption of iodine via salt, that's why we have come to associate iodine and salt, even though it's a very poor source of iodine.
0: Yeah. So if you're getting your iodine from real food, then it's going to be bioavailable, correct?
1: Like. I mean, bioavailability is complex, but much Mm -hmm. more so in this, this study was done by Dr. David Brownstein. I mentioned one of his books earlier called Salt Mm -hmm. Your Way to Health. He has another book called Iodine, Why You Need It and Why You Can't Live Without It. And and he goes into the bioavailability of the different forms of iodine. The, The other challenge with iodine, in addition to the fact that most of us aren't eating enough of it as is, is our thyroids love halogens. In, in your periodic table of elements, you have your irons, your metals, your noble gases. One of those columns is your halogens. Halogens include chlorine, bromine, fluorine, and iodine. Now, back in chemistry, we remember the top of the periodic table of elements are for the really small Uh, and they get larger in atomic mass as it goes down. And if I were to have a, a box here, and this box was full of steel marbles, and some of those marbles were really big and some of them were really small, and I took a little magnet and I swirled it around in that box and pulled it out, The magnet is actually going to be covered with all the little balls because Mm -hmm. the little ones are going to force their way in and push the big ones away until there's no big ones left. Mm -hmm. Your thyroid works the same way. And in order of size, if you pulled up a periodic table of elements, your smallest halogens starting at the top is bromine, chlorine, fluorine or fluoride, and then iodine. So iodine is the biggest of those halogens which means that it'll get displaced by any of those smaller halogens. And so if you have in your diet excess amounts or larger amounts of chlorine or bromine, which is bromided Mm. flour or enriched flour Mm. or fluoride or fluorine, those those are actually iodine blockers because of the way the thyroid uptakes uh, halogens. And so Dr. Brownstein would suggest the, the solution to the iodine deficiency is actually twofold. One, most of us, as I mentioned before, probably should be seeking out foods that are rich in iodine, or finding a good iodine supplement that our healthcare professional would recommend that would work well for us and our lifestyle and our body. The second part is going through and trying to remove or or reduce halogen exposure by, you know, having a good water filter, um, avoiding enriched flour, which would be almost always enriched flour is enriched with bromide um, because it's a a dough volumizer, a dough conditioner. Wow, Daryl,
0: you just made me so excited because I have been slowly replacing flour with all fresh flour. I haven't gotten to the point that all I use is fresh flour, but there's one more reason that I'm so excited about it. I had no idea about the bromide in the enriched flour.
1: Yeah, wow. that's that's one that's easy to miss. And it kind of goes back to the, you know, looking at labels, because you think yeah. enriched flour, oh, this is great. They must be putting a lot of good oh, stuff totally. in there. Oh, totally.
0: Enriched sounds so good. Yeah, Again, the but... marketers are fantastic coming up with the right adjective. Like, I can't believe they make you put in that line that goes on the salt, the adjective that they make you put, um, what's the last part of it? Naturally. Uh, that um, It's necessary.
1: Yes. Yep. It's a Does necessary.
0: Not... New, so it sounds like I remember, I'm not kidding, like a decade ago was the first time I read that on the salt when I was standing in the grocery store. And I remember thinking, oh, it's necessary. Why can they have any other salt here? I really remember thinking, why can they even sell a salt that doesn't have this necessary component? but the crazy thing is from what you've just told me if i'm understanding it correctly a lot of people would say oh well all that sounds complicated i'm just going to buy the iodized salt that's the easy solution but it's not the solution you're still you could very well still have iodine deficiency because of all these other
1: factors correct and the the amount that in the, that's in there it's it's it looks great it's 45% right that's a good mm-hmm. number other than when you look 10%, at 10% is
0: that what 10% you
1: said? 10% of the 45% and, and that's a very different number um, when you look at yeah. the bioavailability of that form when it's attached to salt.
0: Now, is that because I know I read something about there's a mineral that you leave in your real salt that has been taken out of the processed table salt that actually helps our body process the iodine. Is that, am I correct?
1: About uh, that? Not on the iodine. Um, it's no. actually with the sodium. So the, oh. the body requires... Uh, Potassium to digest sodium, and so that's they they work uh, they work those two work hand in hand, and so you need both. And so if you were to take just a bunch of potassium chloride, it would be disastrous. If you take just pure sodium chloride, it's disastrous. You need more sodium than potassium, but you absolutely have to have both. And so there is trace amounts of of those in real salt. There's not near enough potassium and real salt to meet your daily recommended allowance there's not right. near enough iodine in in naturally yeah. occurring salt to meet your daily recommended allowance and so it would encourage as most nutritionists would say today that you need a, a a good round variety you know i love blueberries and i know there's some really good nutrient value in blueberries but if all i eat is blueberries that's going to be a problem um right. and there's some really good things in in good maple, good maple syrup. Um, but you have a lot you of ate... problems if that's all you eat, <laughs> <laughs> But not it, to mention you would... tooth decay. <laughs> right. But there's also a lot of good micronutrients that you might not yes. get if you don't seek out something like a, a good, right. clean maple syrup, a good, clean, you know, fig syrup and, you know, good, clean salt and, yes. you know, great berries. And Very I just think true. the the abundance of of life and variety in our relationships as well as in our diet is what makes the world go around. That's a great
0: point. I love that. So true. So um, I, what I do is I choose to add a half a teaspoon of sea kelp every day to my daily diet. I put it in my smoothies. I put it in my scrambled eggs. And that gives me my daily amount of iodine that I need. But you mentioned a lot of other things. Can you quickly, for those who weren't taking notes, rattle off what are good, healthy, real food sources of iodine?
1: Well, I, I don't I'm not I don't have my list memorized, but I okay. do remember, or at least I think I remember pinto beans being high on that list, some okay. mozzarella cheese is on the list.
0: Oh, um, I didn't well know that as
1: um the, the best is you know, of course, seafood is is high on that list. Yes. Of all of the seaweeds, dulse. Is one of the highest forms huh. of iodine, and okay. it's it's funny because that that is actually a very purple. Uh, if you bought Dulce powder, it looks red or purple, very much mm-hmm. like iodine that you would get, you know, yeah. for an iodine preparation. Huh. Um, and for a while, I was making an iodized salt by taking our salt and cutting it with about ten percent of Dulce powder, oh. and it gave a almost a beat. Um, it kind of looks very like a beet powder almost because of the dulce is so purple. I'm um, going to look
0: that up. Why did you stop? I think that's fascinating.
1: Because d- I was lazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you dehydrate? Did You bought the powder. You didn't have to like dehydrate your seaweed. No, I,
1: I bought it as I thought okay. it might be a fun product to sell. Um, that mm-hmm. would be a Redmond, you know, yeah. iodized salt um, I would jump so on the
0: bandwagon.
1: <laughs> I, uh, but there, there is a slight. I, what I tried to do is bring up the dulse because dulse tastes like seaweed, which some people like and some people find it not so tasty. Yes. And I tried to bring up the dulse powder high enough that it would just be just below the threshold where it started to taste like seaweed. Yes. Um. Yes. And I, if I remember right, it was right around ten percent. If you cross okay. that, then it really started to taste more like seaweed than it did salt. Okay. Um, yeah. But if you can find a natural, like you're doing there, you know, adding adding fresh sea, that's the best way. There is just yeah. so many good um, qualities of seaweed. And in the U.S., I think we've kind of gotten away from bitter. Um, if you go to a lot of countries, bitter is a very common flavor, um, especially if you go to the Middle East. Bitters is much more common uh, here. Sugar makers you know, don't
0: like bitter, just saying. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But bitter is is a good, there's there's good with bitter and with sweet. I mean, I and like I, dark
0: chocolate. I'll take that. I'll take bitter that way.
1: <laughs> well, see, seaweed, if you get a really strong seaweed, it has a little bit of a bite to it.
0: It does. It does for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm so excited about salt. I can't tell you how excited I am that any day now my 25 pound bag of salt is arriving. I order it. It's usually about twice a, every couple years, I should say. It's going to say twice a year. I don't need that much salt. <laughs> Every couple of years, I run out of my 25 pound bag. I love it that you guys sell it in bulk. There's no better way to get the best salt at the best bulk sale prices. Um, And I just store it in a 25 gallon bucket and I'll take um, loose leaf tea bag, like that you can buy it empty to make your own teas, you know. and I'll put rice in it as we were talking about way earlier. And I'll put a few of those in my bucket And I've never had any salt cake. I don't know if that's like the miracle solution, but I'm wondering if you have any suggestions, maybe better than my antiquated little rice thing that I do. But other than that, I mean, you don't need to store them, store the rice in any special way and it lasts forever, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. There's salt does not go bad. I mean, the salt, said um,
0: rice.
1: <laughs> the, uh, the salt, you know, the only way you could, the salt can go bad is if you contaminate it with something um, okay. by, you know, putting, that's where the old saying is this uh, salt that's lost its savor means mm. salt that's been contaminated. Because once you scatter salt across the road, trying to gather that back up is well, is course, virtually impossible. Right. right. Um, but yes, yeah, if you live in a very dry environment in the West, you, or anywhere that's dry, you, you probably... Don't even need to worry about the rice. Okay. If you are in a more humid area, certainly that would keeping be a lid me, on remember that bucket. my salt light. <laughs> um yeah. and if it does clump, you know, one of the nice things about a uh, if a bag or even a bucket is you, you know, drop it a few times. Yes. Um, and you can you can break that right up. It's not it, it's just that the moisture is is binding together. And so that's that's how you can break that back up by just tapping on the yeah. The jar or the bag.
0: It's so simple. And I'm, I'm thankful for it whenever it happens, because I remind myself, this means it's real food and I love it. So, um, are there any other products? I mean, you mentioned way earlier too, about with every quart of water, you should have a certain amount of salt. I love it that you have relight products where you're using your real salt adding some amazing flavors that are all natural. And I can use that to put in my water to get my daily amount of salt. Like tell us about whatever else you have that we can enjoy the real salt in yeah, different so, forms.
1: So first off, you know, rather than going to one of the commercial sports drinks, if you're active in the garden, you're, you're sweating all day, rather than going to a, a process, you know, Pedialyte, Risolite, Rehydrolite, or, you know, Gatorade or any of these other ones, you can make your own electrolyte drink for pennies on the dollar. So, my favorite recipe is a quart of good clean water, one quart, a quarter teaspoon of real salt, a squeeze of lemon, and then a little bit of your favorite sweetener, whether it's a little bit of maple syrup. Um, In fact, if you were to have access to maple syrup and not refine it all the way down, and just Mm -hmm. instead of going all the way to whatever percentage maple syrup is um, not 17 or whatever that number is going a little bit less. And you could get the electrolyte properties of the maple sap. It's a little sweet, but not quite syrup. Mix that with a quart of water with a quarter teaspoon of real salt. That'd be the best electrolyte drink on the planet.
0: I actually Um, have it on my blog. Anyone listen, I'm going to put it in the show notes. I have the recipe for doing exactly that, for making a maple switchel doing exactly what you're talking about
1: and I think that, you know, make that, um, yeah. that is way better than the artificial colors, flavors, you know, pink, purple sports drinks.
0: Never now, sometimes, the no,
1: sometimes, <laughs> no. And, and sometimes, you know, you're in a, you're in a hurry. I, I love mountain biking. I love being active. And sometimes it's just not convenient to stop yeah. and to grab my, my water and grab my shaker of salt and grab my reduction yeah. of maple syrup or maple sap. And so we do sell a product, we call it relight. Um, that's uh re light. And that is just our salt mixed with some magnesium, potassium, some stevia, and then a sweetener or a flavor to make that a little easier on the go. Um, it is more expensive, which is why I like making it myself unless, you know, I'm, I'm on the go going for a bike ride or going, you know, hiking with the kids. Oh, the but it's so delicious. Way you easier. guys have flavors
0: I could not make myself. So well, I, I, I don't think it's, I think it's a great price and I use it all the time. I love it.
1: And I like to use it as fun dip. I remember those uh, treats oh, as a kid where you'd take your, and I'm so trying I, it today. I am. Trying I will it today. take apples and I'll slice apples
0: I love and then I'll that. dip it
1: in my favorite, which is the strawberry lemonade relight. Yes. Um, okay. And it's, it's delightful. I'm going to try um, it in the berry. I'll,
0: some apple in the berry. Oh,
1: very good. Wow. I'm doing
0: it as soon as we, um, as soon as we are done recording.
1: <laughs> and, and most people, if if you're healthy, you're living a, a healthy diet, you're eating or, or eating a lot of your food that you are either, you know, preparing yourself that isn't highly processed going out of your way to add more salt to your diet. You're going to feel better. Most people are actually dehydrated because they're not drinking yes. near enough water. They yes. drink a lot of water because they know they're dehydrated. Now they're just flushing salts out of yes. their body. Yeah. So by adding good, clean water, listening to our body's cravings, enjoying the apple with some relight powder as your yeah. own fun dip, yeah. you know, making your own electrolyte drink with, with tree sap and with salt. Real food and is fun,
0: isn't it, Daryl? It is. It is. Yeah. I love it. Well, you've inspired me in so many ways, but I think the most excited thing I'm I'm about is this fun dip. I'm, I got to go because I got to go <laughs> try it. <laughs> Daryl, thank you so much for taking the time to break this all down for us. I, I find it fascinating. You taught me so much about salt and I'm so thankful you took the time to to talk with us.
1: Michelle, it's been a real pleasure. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Enjoy the fun dip and uh, I will. keep us posted.
0: All right, thank you, Daryl. So I seriously hope you enjoyed my chat with Daryl as much as I did. Like I said earlier, it was hard to wrap it up. There was more I wanted to talk about, but I wanted to make sure before I leave you today, to do those extra couple things that I promised. First of all, the four different varieties or coarseness of salt, and then I'm going to answer those three questions. So the kind of coarsenesses that you can get, there's an ultra, ultra fine salt. And I think you can get all of these coarseness levels from most producers of salt, if you know what I mean, not just from Redmond. Um, But first of all, is the ultra fine. Now, Redmond calls it, for their real salt, they call it powder. But here's a secret that I'm going to let you in on. Their popcorn salt is exactly the same as their powder salt. So either one, powder or popcorn, exact same product. They just label it as popcorn specifically so folks know that that's the number one use for it. It's fantastic to use on your popcorn because you don't need to use oil or much less oil because the salt will stick a lot better to your popcorn than an average grain of salt because it is so very fine. It's not a salt that I would ever use in my baking or cooking because the the granules are so teeny tiny. If you're getting a teaspoon of that salt, like because that's what your recipe calls for, you're going to have probably too much salt in your final product because those granules are so tiny. A lot more salt fits in that teaspoon. There's no air pockets around the granules. So I stick with using that for my popcorn, but I use it at least five times a week, sometimes daily, some weeks, because I eat a lot of popcorn. We all do in our family. We love popcorn. In fact, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes so you can get the information I shared way back. It might've been season three, season four. I don't remember. They all jumble up in my mind, but there was an episode where I shared, I think it was six, six swaps that you need in your life. And one of them was if you eat microwave popcorn, you absolutely need to cut it out of your diet for so many toxic reasons. And you need to start using air pop popcorn. So I'm going to link my recipe for how I make my popcorn in the show notes. And in that article, you also get a link back to that previous episode if you want to know all six of those swaps. Um, next is the regular coarseness. This is the one you're familiar with. This is the one you've used all your life. At realsalt.com they call this fine, but it's it's regular. I, I call it regular. <laughs> it confused me when I first started using RealSalt when I went to look for what I was going to order a couple times that I ordered. I was really confused and I had to look back at what I had gotten the last time because I'm like, fine doesn't sound right. I don't want that really, really fine stuff that I use on my popcorn. I want regular, but fine is what you want. And that's just the the same coarseness that you're gonna get for any salt you use that is traditional salt. The next level up is called kosher. This is another one that confused me for the longest time. I thought kosher salt was what they had to use to make food kosher. And I thought, I have no use for that. Like, I don't need kosher salt. I don't eat kosher food. Like, why is that something that's on the site? I don't know. I'm not going to order it. I was so wrong. It has nothing to do with kosher food. It actually is referring to the coarseness of the salt. And it's that next level up. It's going to be a bigger granule. And if, again, I would not use it in my baking. Because, again, if I'm getting a teaspoon of the kosher salt, those granules are going to be so much bigger than my regular salt that i'm not going to have enough salt in my final product plus you're going to get pockets of salt when you bite into a cookie or something you're going to get you know quite a few pockets that there's a bigger piece of salt but it's not distributed throughout the cookie so what do i use kosher for i love it for things like um, crackers when i make sourdough crackers put that drizzle it all over the top. So you get those bursts of salt when you bite into your cracker. I love it for meat rubs for the same reason. Um, I love it for, oh my goodness. I hate it when my brain just goes empty kosher salt. I use it for, (laughs) oh, oh, warm pretzels. If you make warm homemade pretzels, it's great to put on top because you get those big bursts of salt with every bite of your warm pretzel. I'm actually getting hungry for one of those as I talk about it. And the number one way that I like using kosher salt is in my everything seasoning. There is no reason to buy everything seasoning. By the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I didn't know about this until a few years ago. I wasn't really cool though. I think you guys are probably cooler than I am and you probably know about this, but I saw it on the aisle at Aldi's grocery store. And I'm like, what's everything seasoning? So I had to research it. And it turns out it's been cool for quite a few years. It is simply the topping that you would use if you were making everything bagels that you put on top of it. And you don't have to buy it. You can make it yourself. I'm going to share my recipe for that in the show notes as well, but absolutely always use kosher salt for that. And the final, the fourth variety of salt is coarse, and that's going to be a step up from the kosher. It's going to be much bigger granules. You could not put this on top of your warm pretzel because you would get just way too much salt in your bite. Um, Definitely couldn't use it in baking because you'd have definitely not enough salt and it wouldn't be dispersed, but it's great if you have a salt shaker so you can not a salt shaker, a salt grinder. So you can grind it as you're going to use it and you have freshly ground salt on your salad or wherever you want to, you know, disperse that. So that's the four kinds, the ultra fine, which they call powder at real salt, the regular, which they call fine at real salt, the kosher and the coarse. There's a few other options, but I don't think I'll go into to the big, really big crystals. Um, And the three questions that Daryl mentioned, I actually have to pull up my notes here. I jotted it down as he was talking. First of all, you want to know who produces it. For me, the more that I have learned about Redmond, the more I respect the company. The more I have worked with them, the more I respect them. And I actually went out to Utah and had an amazing lunch at their Redmond kitchen and I was so impressed with everything there about their brand, about the way they run that shop and that kitchen, about the the food that they offer there and about the way their employees are treated and the whole, everything about it. I was very impressed and they really are very good to their employees and they're just really great to work with. So they're a genuinely great company. It's a family-run company, which I also am always very supportive of. It's a US-based company, which I'm always very supportive of. And everything I've learned about them has been top-notch. So as far as who produces it, I cannot recommend one better than red mineral salt. The source, Daryl got into this, the fact that their sort they source their salt in a way that it's very easy for them to extract it. They don't have to go down really deep like a lot of other miners do, and they have to go through weird extraction processes. So it's even that much more natural. Love it. Um... Wait, that's the process. That was his third question. Ask. No, no, I'm right. The third question he asked, how is it processed? And I actually just learned recently how most salt companies take out all those minerals, all those trace minerals, because they can make more money, like big bucks, selling those trace minerals to different sources who are going to use them to make other products and then just sell us, the consumer, just the salt. No minerals, strip it of everything good, and just give us the salt. Add some processed iodine, and call it good. And they make much more money that way. So I love it that red mineral salt doesn't strip anything. It is literally it comes to us the way it comes out of the ground, except they make it, you know, one of those four coarsenesses that I just talked about. But other than that, it's just like it was when it was mined from the ground. And all those minerals, more than sixty four trace minerals, are in the salt that comes to your front porch, delivered from Utah. So there you have it. Those are the three questions. Daryl was very humble. He didn't get into, you know, how Redmond stacks up with those questions. So I thought it was something that would be helpful to share with you because I, when I think about those questions with the salt that I choose, I'm always, I'm always really pleased, really happy with, with real salt. So. There you have it. Um, They weren't even a sponsor of this episode. I just was so excited that Daryl could come on. So all of that that I'm sharing is totally from my heart, not even sponsored by Redmond in this episode. So, okay. Join me next week. We are dropping a new episode every Monday. Like I said earlier, we're on YouTube as well as you can catch me on your favorite podcast player. Please take a second to leave a review. It means so much to me. and. I think that's it for today. I'm excited about the new season. I hope you join me next week.